All right, well, good morning to each one of you. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. <laughs> Exodus, chapter 33. Good to see you all out here this morning. It is a, it's a beautiful day out. Uh, one of the things that uh, they, didn't, they didn't tell you about in evangelism is that when you, um, uh, when you travel, you literally will switch seasons, uh, every, depending on the week. You could go from, we've had times we've gone from summer to fall, back to summer, then into winter, and then back into fall, and then, uh, and then kind of uh, fall, fall, fall into like a little bit of winter, then right back into summer, then into winter. And it just, uh, depending on what state and such that we're in, uh, you never know. So it is, uh, we're glad for sunshine. I know, um, I don't know if maybe you don't get a whole lot of rain here, but I, we love the sunshine. And so we're thankful for uh, how the morning looks. Um, I hope you're excited about the services that are coming up. I know we are. And uh, my name uh, is Matt. If you haven't, uh, if I haven't gotten to meet you yet, and I assume my thing is going to come off at some point as yours probably is too. Um, but uh, my wife is, uh, is coming. She's got our two boys, and uh, our sons are Samuel and Campbell, and so they are going to be here as well. Samuel is two, and Campbell is uh, two months old, and so we've got a, um, uh, a, a fresh one, you know, just, uh, uh, just out of the oven. So, um, yeah, so we've got, uh, so that's kind of us, and uh, we're excited to be here with you, and I hope that you'll let the Word of God change you um, throughout this week, and of course, um, Sunday, uh, you know, this morning, I'm, I'm excited about, uh, about hopefully we'll have some, uh, some visitors and such in our services this morning. But of course, the night services, I'll just tell you this. I, I hope that you will plan as best as you can to be out for the three nights of services that we have. Um, because one of the things I'll, I'll promise you this is that uh, if you will come to the night services, you are not going to get just kind of a little bit of extra Bible study where you'll, where you'll hopefully just grow a little bit, okay? Friends, um, when I plan a service and as I pray through what I'm I'm going to preach. Um, I plan that you will be impacted by God's word. As I like to put it, um, I plan to preach high impact messages that are aimed at changing you, not just challenging you. Uh, you know, oftentimes we talk about uh, you know, we talk about, uh, well, that was a great challenge. I once heard a preacher say, I don't want to know if you've been challenged. I want to know if you've been changed. And so my goal is that God would change every one of you because uh, none of us is perfect. And so we need to change. And so we'll see what the Lord will do um, for each one of us throughout these, uh, these special nights that we have. So let's go to the book of Exodus. We're going to do, uh, do something I think will be a little bit fun. You know, uh, when Sunday school comes around, especially as we're doing special meetings in different places, um, there's different directions directions that uh, a preacher can go in, um, in um, Sunday school. And one of the things that adults love is adults, uh, even, you know, sometimes we think that it's the children that love the Bible stories. And, uh, but I found out that us adults, we love them as well, because if you look carefully at Bible stories, oftentimes we can find the little details that often get missed uh, when we just do, you know, the little flannel graph for the younger children. And there's some neat details in Bible stories uh, that we oftentimes miss that go along with some very important lessons that we need to learn, especially as adults, uh, that God has tucked away in these, um, in these, story, in these um, stories, these narratives, these accounts from his word. So uh, do me a favor and let's go to Exodus chapter 33, if you're not there already. And let's read um, just the first few verses of Exodus chapter 33. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart. 
And go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I'll send an angel before thee, and I'll drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. Well, you know here in Exodus chapter uh, 33 and really Exodus chapter 32 as well, we're really thrust into a very dark time in Israel's history. You know, and, and, uh, and you really would have thought that this would have been kind of an exciting time, kind of a special time, because just previously to Exodus 32 and Exodus 33, Moses has spent the better part of a month um, uh, up on the Mount Sinai, and he has been receiving, among other things, of course, we would know the Ten Commandments. He's had, I mean, can you just imagine being Moses on the side of the mountain, and God is, and you actually are meeting face-to-face with God and he's telling you, hey, listen, Moses, write some stuff down. You know, you ever had your boss say, you better write this down. This is going to be important. So you kind of write it down. You know, imagine God saying to you, hey, Moses, you're going to want to write this down because people about 4,000 years later are going to need this. Okay, I'm writing this down. And can you imagine that, you know, God taking out two tablets of stone, taking his finger and carving into it the Ten Commandments that really kind of, you could say, summarize the law and uh, what God's law was for his people. What, what an exciting time. And it brings us all the way to the end of Exodus 30. And as Exodus 32 begins, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said. So uh, Moses is taking a long time to come down off the mountain. And so the people, after it took him 40 days, and he's still up there, and they have no word from him because he's not been, you know, he's not been posting, you know, got got the Ten Commandments. You know, he's not doing anything like that. Um, They said to him, they said to Aaron, up, make us gods which shall go which shall go before us as for this Moses the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt we want not we know not what is become of him so these people after 40 days of simply not seeing their leader just all of a sudden assume that everything has gone to pot and so they and so they come to Aaron and they say make us gods that can lead us uh, in, into out of this wilderness and into the promised land and Aaron should have had the um, uh, should have been the man and should have had the uh, the guts to say are you people crazy. We're at Mount Sinai. We just saw God's presence on the mountain. We saw the earthquake and the fire and the flames and heard the voice of God. Aaron should have been the one that said, there is no way we will do this apostasy. But instead of doing that, Aaron said to the people, bring me your earrings. And so the people brought their earrings to Aaron, and Aaron took all of these golden earrings and melted it down. The Bible says that he took and he formed, he crafted a golden calf with a graving tool in verse 4. And he said, these be thy gods, O Israel. By the way, the word gods there is the the Hebrew word Elohim, which can be translated as gods, you know, plural gods. Also sometimes, though, it is used for the actual name God for God. For example, in Genesis chapter 1, I believe it is, we see the name Elohim used often in reference to God. I think there might have been a little play on words that Aaron was saying here, where he's basically saying, this calf right here, this is Elohim. This is what Elohim looks like. This is what, uh, if he was in human form, who he is. But he says, this is the one which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. 
I mean, how, how sad is this that he's equating this calf to be on an equal plane with Yahweh? And in verse number five, when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before, and Aaron proclaimed, uh, made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. People, whenever you see in your Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's always a reference to the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. A name that the Jews still will not write out in all of its English letters. Good, uh, good uh, Orthodox Jews because of the fear and the reverence that they have for the name of God. And Aaron took this idol and said, this is Elohim. This is, you know, basically, you're the God of heaven. But he said, but don't worry, we're going to worship him tonight. Tomorrow we're also going to have a feast for Yahweh. And he was, so he was doing this weird mixture of mixing the worship of this uh, idol and the worship of Yahweh. And it was getting bad. Verse number six, that they rose up early on the morrow. They offered burnt offerings to this idol. They brought peace offerings. It says, and the people sat down to eat and to drink. So they set up a big old banquet and it says, and they rose up to play. So in front of this idol, you had, you had a big old banquet going on. People were feasting and bowing down, praying to, worshiping this idol. People were ga gathering with their neighbors and committing acts of immorality at the very feet of this calf. And there was a disgusting mess going on. Well, up on the mountain, uh, the Bible Bible says in verse number seven, can you imagine, you know, think about it. Here's Moses. He's been enjoying the presence of God for how, you know, 40 days. And so God is giving him commandments. He's talking to him about the tabernacle. He's telling him about what he's going to do with him and all the different things about uh, different parts of the law. And then God just kind of stops on day 40, verse number seven, and says to Moses, go. Wow, you know, Moses is just enjoying time with God. Then all of a sudden God, you can almost see the smile go from God's face. And he says, Go. Get thee down for thy people, which thou brought us out of the land. You notice that? You ever notice that? God says to Moses, go get your people down that you brought out of the land of Egypt. You ever, um, you know, when your kids were bad, did you ever uh, like say to your, your spouse, your kids need your attention, you know? And you think, uh, well, we were both there, you know, like this is, these are your kids too, but uh, not when they're this bad, they're your kids, you know? And it's almost like God is saying that in verse number seven, he says, go for thy people, which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt. He says, they have corrupted themselves. Can you imagine? Imagine being Moses and thinking, what, what, what have they done? And, and God doesn't stop right there. He says, they made them a calf and they're worshiping it. And the Lord said to Moses in verse 9 and 10, he says, they're a stiff-necked people. And basically says in verse number 10, let me alone. My wrath is going to wax hot. I'm going to destroy all of them and start a new nation out of you. And Moses, you know, he's thinking, no, whoa, 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 what just happened? And so Moses, in just a few moments of time, he kind of averts the wrath of God, kind of, you could say, ask God to put his wrath on pause while he goes down and sees what's happening. So Moses hurries down the mountain, passes his assistant Joshua on the way. Joshua, the poor, poor guy, he says, it sounds like the sound of war in the camp. And Moses says, that's not the sound of war. That's the sound of singing that I hear. And so Moses comes down the mountain. And can you just imagine him? coming down Mount Sinai, and uh, maybe the, as he's coming down, maybe there's like a little lip at the bottom. He comes down, kind of steps up onto this lip, and there in front of him, the people of God, there's an idol, 
There's altars that are built. There's smoke rising from the burnt offerings that are coming up. There's, um, there are people who are naked with their neighbors committing immorality in front of it. Other people are uh, sitting at tables right next to them, eating and drinking and just enjoying a big old banquet. And can you imagine the wrath that must have moved, that must have boiled up inside of Moses? And the Bible says that Moses, therefore, he takes these Ten Commandments, which he hasn't even been able to show the people, and he smashes them on the rocks, for they have already violated the commandments. And he comes down that mountain, he comes into the midst of the people, and it says in verse number Verse number 20, it says, and he, that's Moses, he took the calf which they had made, burnt it in the fire, and ground it into powder. Now, would you pause right there and realize this? It says that Moses took that thing, burnt it, and ground it into powder. You know, it doesn't, uh, maybe he had help, but it doesn't indicate that he does. Can you imagine how mad an 80-year-old man must be if he is able to knock down a, uh, a, a, a golden statue and smash it into powder? Can you imagine being to one of those Israelites down there worshiping this calf, and all of a sudden, the Moses that you thought was gone or dead or something, all of a sudden shows up, all of a sudden shows up and smashes this thing in pieces. I wonder if God may have given him supernatural strength in this moment. Smashes it into pieces. He takes the powder and dumps it in their drinking water, puts it in cups, shoves it in the Israelites' face, and forces them to drink. And then you can just kind of hear him growl, Where's Aaron? <laughs> Not a good time to be the younger brother, or to be the uh, you know Moses's brother right now, you know. And so and so uh, and so Aaron comes up, and I like what Moses said to Aaron, verse twenty-one. He said, "What did this people unto thee?" In other words, he almost gives them the benefit of the doubt. Like I assume they tied you up. Or something. I assume they tied you up. Did they threaten your family? What happened here? And uh, he says that you brought so great a sin upon them. And Aaron, you know, if Aaron had been smart, these guys are, you know, in their 80s. If Aaron had been smart, he would have said something like, yeah, they tied me up. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly what happened. But instead of doing that, uh, Aaron says, well, you know, uh, they said they wanted gods. And so I told them to bring their earrings. And he says in verse number 24, and so they broke them off, and I cast them into the fire, and there came out this calf. Can you just, you know, Moses thinking, you know, Aaron, that kind of lie, I might have believed that when we were four but uh, we're kind of like 80, and um, that those kind of, I can see past those lies. And so this is where Moses gives the, um, uh, gives the famous cry, who is on the Lord's side? And the Levites come over to his side, and there, is, there are a lot of executions that day. I wonder if a lot of them were centered right around there where the partying and the immorality and the worshiping was going on. And so many people that day were, were killed because of, uh, uh, for violating the clear commands of God. And after this was all over, Moses rushes back up the mountain and literally holds back the wrath of God and asks God to not pour them out upon his people. And in verse 32, look at verse 32 of chapter 32, if you would. Look at this. You need to see this in the text. He says, yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin... And there's a dash. And it's almost like then right after that, it's almost like he breaks into a different thought and says, but if not, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of the book which thou hast written. That dash represents almost like an unintelligible, unable to be written down groan. 
that would have come out of Moses. It's almost like he's saying to God, if thou wilt forgive their sin, oh, please, but if you won't. And Moses even bargains and says, just blot me out of the book of life. Spare this thy people. And he says, remember your name before the heathen. Remember your promises and remember these different things. Now we're in Exodus 33. And when Moses finishes his plea to God to say, please don't destroy your people. What did God say in chapter 33 in verse number one? He said to Moses, all right, you go. I won't destroy the people. He says, go up hence, thou and the people. He says, I'll keep my promises to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. You'll go into the promised land. And he says, actually, in verse number two, and I'll send an angel before you. I'll, I'll send an angel, you know, one that can fight for you, one that can uh, uh, destroy your enemies before you, all these different enemies. He says, you'll want that angel because God says in verse number three, I'm not going. Does that do anything for you? Does that not almost scare you when God says, you go, do what you can go ahead and do what I'll do. In fact, I'll send an angel so that at least my promises get kept. He can keep, he'll, he'll keep the promises that I made for, for me, but I will not go with you. That is, that is a scary thing that God would say, I I'm done with you. I no longer want to send my presence with you. I will have nothing to do with you. He says in verse number three, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. He says, You're, the Israelites are such stubborn people. He says, I can't be around them anymore because if I'm around them too much longer, God literally says, I might kill them. You ever had someone in your life, such as a brother or sister, where you've thought that before? If I'm around them about one more hour, I'm going to kill them. You know, I'm just going to be done with them. I don't want, you know, I, I'm, I'm ready to get rid of my brother, my sister, or maybe someone at work. Oh, I've been there where you're like, if I have one more hour with this person, if he does not go away, if she does not stop talking with me, I, that is it. I, they will never find his body, you know? And, um, and, and that's essentially what God is saying. He says, I will not go with you. This calf and the actions that went with it were such an insult from the people of God. I'm done. My presence will no longer go with you. Folks, can I say something? It is an awful, awful thing to lose the presence of God. It is an awful thing. Because um, this is a uh, kind of a, a good statement to, to remember to hold on to. Because in the presence of God is the power of God. In the presence of God is the power of God. And you know, when God said that he was going to withdraw his presence, what he was saying was, I am withdrawing my power. In other words, the rest of your existence is going to be whatever you can do in your own strength. But God said, I'm done with giving you my presence and giving you my power. Let me give you two simple lessons that we ought to learn from this, um, uh, from this, um, 
narrative that we have here. Number one is this, is that our sin barriers us from the power and the presence of God. You know, uh, the Bible's, uh, the prophet said in Isaiah 59, behold, he says, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is your heavy that it cannot hear. He says, but your what? Your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You know, oftentimes we think that God has left us alone and has abandoned us. And we think, what is wrong with you, God? You know, if you re read in Jeremiah chapter 2, uh, one of the things that God emphasizes there to his people is that it was, it was not me that left this relationship. You did with your sin. And Frank, can I say something? Outright, unconfessed sin barriers you from knowing the presence of God. You ever thought, why does God seem so far away? Why does God seem so disconnected with my situation? Why does God seem like he doesn't care and never answers prayer as if he, he could care less what's going on in my life? Friend, one thing you better check on is, is it because of sinful choices in your life? Because some of you have decided that you are going, you are not going to forgive so-and-so who has done such and such. You have set that, you are going to stand on that, you are going to be stubborn in that, and you are going to plant your feet there, and you are never going to be moved. You are not going to forgive. Well, then forget about the presence of God. You picked. You picked your anger, your bitterness, and your unwillingness to forgive, you are picking that over the power and the presence of God. Because God's called upon us to forgive. You know, some of you have, have a, some of you may have a very, very bad, we'll call it viewing habit. The stuff you look at, that you watch, the TV shows that you let through are into your TV are just not godly. And, and you know they're not godly and they just shame God's name. And there's just filth that comes across. And then you wonder why God seems so far away. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's not as hard to understand as we might think it is. It may be just because we allow so much impurity into our lives. You know, some of you in this room, you might be, though no one else, maybe at church at least, doesn't know this. Some of you in this room, you may be just a habitual liar. And it's, it's nothing for you if it'll cover your tracks, if it'll make sure... That life seems a little bit better, if it'll at least make things a little less bumpy, you have no problem with lying. By the way, just so that you know, Satan is the father of lies and God is the God of truth. And when you lie, you're acting more like the devil than you are like your God. And God says, you want to act that, you want to, you want to lie, 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 and just say, you know what? I could care less. I don't care what God's word says about it. I'm going to lie if I need to. God says, then forget about having my power. Forget about having my presence in your life. Some of you maybe, uh, maybe there's just so much gossip and backbiting and storytelling and just destructive speech that comes from your mouth. And then you wonder, or as you just uh, are consumed with gossip, you wonder why God seems so far away. Folks, it shouldn't be all that hard. Is it sin that is burying you, barriering you from knowing the presence and the power of God? How awful. To have to lead your family without having God's power 
How awful that you feel that you have to hold on to anger, to lust, to lying, to gossip, and you'd rather have that than having the power of God to lead your family. Don't be so upset when your kids care nothing for God either. Don't be so, oh, pastor so-and-so, I don't know why my kids just don't care about God. Don't ask him that question. You've already answered it. Because you would rather have your sin than have the power of God, than have the presence of God. How awful to have to endure trials, to have to endure 2020 without the power and the presence of God. How awful to have to <coughs> go through life and to have to try to pray knowing that the presence of God has been removed because of your own sin. How impossible it is to, <coughs> to try to live the Christian life without the presence and the power of God. So, so notice then in verse number four, it says, when the people heard these evil tidings, when they realized that the presence of God was being removed and his power was being, was being pulled away from them, verse number four says that they mourned. They wept bitterly. It says, verse 4, and no man did put on him his ornaments. What does that mean? Well, that means that they removed all of their jewelry. In uh, Old Testament times, if you wanted to show that you were in mourning, you know, such as for a funeral, us today, we wear black. That's the common thing that we would wear to show that we are grieving over someone's death or something very bad that has happened. Back then, they would remove all of their jewelry, their necklaces, their bracelets, their earrings, their anklets, any kind of jewelry would be removed. And so they put all of it away. And it says in verse number seven that Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp. Now, the, the official tabernacle had not been built yet. What was this talking about? Well, tabernacle is really just a, a big fancy word for a tent. And so it says that they had this special tent that he pitched without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. Well, what did this thing serve? Well, let's read verse 7. What was its purpose? It came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord... If you wanted to seek God, it said you went out into the tabernacle of the congregation that was without the camp. So if you wanted to seek God's presence, there was a special tent that they would set up outside of the camp where you could go to, to have an earnest time of seeking God's presence. And uh, now would be a perfect time to do that. So Moses sets up this temple, uh, this, um, this tabernacle, this tent. The Bible says that all the, all the people of Israel, they took off their ornaments, they gathered with their families in the front of, of each of their individual tents, gathered and stood there, just really kind of hoping, wishing, and praying that God's presence would come back. And as Moses sets up this tabernacle, it says it came to pass, verse 9, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, that the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. Can you imagine the relief of the people to say, look, you know, there's the cloudy pillar. It's coming back. And it settled down over that tent, and the two of them talked. Uh, Moses, verse 11 says, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And again, and he turned again to the camp, uh, but Joshua, uh, Joshua stayed there. And so now Moses is here, and he's with the Lord in this tabernacle of the congregation, and he is going to plead on behalf of the people for the return of the presence of God. 
So in verse 12, he reminds God of his promise, that God had promised that he would, go, that he would not only get them into the promised land, but he said, uh, he said uh, see thou sayest unto me, bring up this people, thou wilt not let me know whom thou wilt send with, with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that, that, that this nation is thy people. So in other words, he reminds reminds God that God had promised that he would bring them into the promised land. And so Moses is essentially ready to wrestle with God the way Jacob did because he wants God's power. He wants God's presence to go with them. And in verse 14, God said, my, God said in verse 14, you know what? My presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. In other words, because of Moses' pleading, God said, all right. I think probably because of Moses' relationship with God, he, had a spe- he really had a, a good standing before the Lord, and there was a special friendship between Moses and God. And so God says in verse 14, all right, I'll send my presence. It's almost like, now, I don't know exactly the tone of how everything was said, but it's interesting that the very verse after that, Moses says in verse 15, maybe the voice of God, and this is just conjecture because we don't really have it here, but based on verse 15, I wonder if the voice of God in verse number 14 was kind of a, all right, uh, all right, I did promise I'll go with you. Because Moses says something in verse 15. Moses was probably one of the most I don't want to say brash. He was the boldest, I think, man in prayer of anyone in the Bible, in my opinion. Moses was the boldest in prayer. Look at verse number 15. Moses said to God, he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not a pence. In other words, Moses says to God, God, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, he says, God, God it's just, um, don't, you don't have to ask questions about it. If your presence doesn't go with me, I won't lead the people. I won't even try. I won't do it. You know why Moses said that? Not because he was being arrogant, not because he was being stubborn, but because he understood lesson number two. Lesson number one was that our sin barriers us from the presence and the power of God. Lesson number two is this, is that we must never attempt to accomplish God's will without God's power. And Moses said, you know what? I know your plan for me. I know your desire for me is that I will lead the people of God into Israel that w- or into the promised land. That was God's will for him. That was God's plan for him. And Moses said, I will not do your will if I do not have your power. You know, us Christians today are, you know, we're pretty content with going after God's will without God's power. You know, there's a Chinese evangelist that once said, uh, and I'm not quite quoting it uh, for, for word, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he said uh, back in, I think it was the 30s or 40s, he, this is the 30s or 40s, he said, you know, it is amazing what the, uh, what the American Christians are able to do without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we are content if we can have a nice building and a nice program and some good things happen, and we learn a little bit about the Lord, and every now and then maybe we see someone saved, we 
are content if we can just have some, you know, just the, the bare basics to keep us going, to help us feel like we're near God, but we're okay oftentimes with trying out to do God's will without having God's power. But Moses was not going to try to accomplish God's will without having God's power. He said, if thy presence will not go with me, then I will not go. And he said, I like how he says in verse number 16, for wherein shall it be known here that thy people have found grace in thy sight? He says, is it not in that thou goest with us? And he, look at, listen to this, listen to this. Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated. Oh, there's a good independent Baptist word. So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from the people that are upon the face of the earth. You know, um, biblical, separation is a very biblical term. We probably, you've probably heard about it here at this church. The reason why you hear about it is because it is a biblical term. You want to know what the very bottom foundation of biblical separation is? It's how I dress. No, it's not. It's uh, the music I listen to. No, it's not. Th those are right applications, though. Do you know what the bare bottom foundation of se biblical separation is? Of why we're to be separated? It's because of separation is, you know what makes you look the most not like the world? It's that you have the power of God on your life. It's not the music I listen to. Well, that does help if you don't listen to the world's music. But God says, you want to look the most not like the world? Then you need my power. From the top down to the bottom. You know that this morning, there are unsaved people in churches all across the United States who are teaching Sunday school? What makes them different from when you teach Sunday school? Well, because I have the word of God and I'm an independent Baptist. No, what ought to make the difference is you have the power of God on your life. That you have come before God and said, listen, Lord, I have six first graders that are going to be in front of me today. Lord, these children do not know you. And would you please use this message about uh, this Bible story? I, I'm, I'm assigned to teach, you know, of Jonah and the whale. Lord, would you please let these six children just understand that they must submit to you. If they don't get this, they'll never get saved. God, I gotta have your power. Most of the time, we're just uh, like, oh my goodness, Jonah and the whale. I got a quick review of that. Maybe I'll, eh, I don't even need to read Jonah 1. I know what happens. I'll just review the lesson. And we just pass by it like, oh, well, I can get this down. I got it. When God says, no, you wanna look different from the world, you need my power. You know, when you, uh, when you sing up in front of church, do you know that uh, all across this nation, there are unsaved people who can sing better than us? And some of them will do it in church today. Well, what makes them different from you? Well, I think in a conservative style. Glad you do. So do I. You know what will make you different from the world? The most different from the world is if you have the presence of God when you sing. If the power of God is on you when you sing. You know, when you give out the gospel, you know, oftentimes we're so content. We're so excited to just, uh, maybe we've learned all of our apologetics. And maybe we know the insides and out of how to, you know, oh, bring on the hard people. I'm ready for the tough ones. Bring on the people who, you know, bring on the people who think they know more about the Bible than I do. I'm going to school them. Folks, you know what that's called? Self-dependence. We need God. You know, sometimes it's been the most simp the simplest of Christians that simply said, I don't know much, but I need you, Lord, help me to say something that's, that sometimes the, the hardest of hearts crumbles 
because a Christian simply has the presence and the power of God on their lives. And I love how in verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, you know, I'll do this thing that thou hast spoken. Thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. In other words, God says, I love to answer the prayer when you ask for my power and my presence. And verse 18, Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. You know what the glory was? That was the manifest presence of God. Whenever you see glory in the Old Testament, what that was, was it was the obvious, visible, manifested presence of God. And Moses says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. I want, in other words, he was saying, Moses wanted as much of God's presence as was humanly possible on this side of eternity. Because, you know, God says, uh, when he asks to show him your glory, it's almost like the Lord says, okay, now um, I will make my, all my glory, my goodness pass before you. But he says, you cannot see all of it. If you, if you saw all of it, it would kill you. Um, but God says, I will, what I'm going to do is I will put you in the cleft of a rock and I will cover you there with my hand and I will pull back a little bit of my hand. He says, in our, in our English Bible, it says, you will see my back parts. The, the phrase there, it just means a reflection of my glory. In other words, if you saw all of it, it would kill you right off. And so you're going to see sort of a reflection of it, but it will be the most that you can possibly handle. And God, can I tell you something? God answers the prayer of when we ask for God's power. He does. He says, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I'll show grace on whom I will show grace. And you know, God's one of the, the people that God loves to show grace. You might read that and say, oh, well, see, I don't know if God's going to give me grace. I don't know if God's going to give me power. No, God has chosen that whoever will ask for power, as Moses did, that's who he's going to pour it out on. You who sit there and stay stubborn and stay, I can do this on my own. Those are the ones that God says, good luck. Try. See how that goes. But folks, can I tell you something? God can give us power that we thought we could, to accomplish what we thought we never could. Can you imagine being an 80-something-year-old man trying to lead 2 million, mostly Jews, but also some, uh, some of these random strangers from, from Egypt that wanted to just get out of Egypt as well, trying to lead all that and making that all happen and doing a really good job of it. And then you got, you know, God to, to uh, you're accountable to as well as people and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, can you imagine doing that? Moses said, I got to have God's power or I don't try. Folks, if we don't learn anything else from this morning, can we learn this? We need God's power. We need his strength, and you ought to be seeking after it every single day for anything, anything that you can think up, you need God's power for it. If you can think it, you need God's strength for it. Oh, well, come on now. Yeah, that's why oftentimes, that's why we get so um, self-dependent. That's why we get so, uh, you know, we begin to trust in ourselves and our own power and in our own strength. It's because we don't see God's power in the things that we do. So is our heart cry, Lord, show me your glory. Is your attitude, I've got to have your power to love other people. Lord, I've got to have your power to get through another day of work. Lord, I've got to have your power on my marriage. Lord, I've got to have your power, your presence to go through trials. 
Lord, I've got to have your presence and power if I'm going to sing in church on Sunday. Lord, I've got to have your presence and your power if I'm going to disciple this Christian and help him to live for God. Lord, I've got to have your power and your presence if I'm going to teach children. Lord, I've got to have your presence and power or else I can't deal with other people around me dying. Lord, I've got to have your presence and power or else I can't forgive other people. Folks, one of the smartest things we can learn is that we should not even try to attempt God's will if we don't have God's power. So um, let's ask him for it because God loves to show his glory to his people. And as you know, you know, the presence of God went with them and, uh, you know, um, there were many failures in the days ahead, but God's presence stayed with them. But here in Exodus 32 and 33, it was almost gone for good. Folks, let's not not have our families be ones where the presence of God is absent. Let's seek his power.